Section 19 of Three Years in Europe, or Places I Have Seen and People I Have Met. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Three Years in Europe, or Places I Have Seen and People I Have Met, by William Wells Brown. Letter 19. Oxford. Martyrs' Monument. Cost of the Burning of the Martyrs. The Colleges. Dr. Pusey. Energy, the Secret of Success. Oxford, September 10th, 1851. I have just finished a short visit to the far-famed city of Oxford, which has not unaptly been styled the City of Palaces. Aside from this being one of the principal seats of learning in the world, it is distinguished alike for its religious and political changes in times past. At one time it was the seat of popery, at another the uncompromising enemy of Rome. Here the tyrant, Richard III, held his court, and when James I and his son Charles I found their capital too hot to hold them, they removed to their loyal city of Oxford. The writings of the great Republicans were here committed to the flames. At one time Popery sent Protestants to the stake and faggot. At another, a Papist king found no favor with the people. A noble monument now stands where Cranmer, Ridley, and Latimer proclaimed their sentiments and faith and sealed them with their blood. And now we read upon the town treasurer's book. For three loads of wood, one load of faggots, one post, two chains and staples, to burn Ridley and Latimer, one pound, five shillings, one pence. Such is the information one gets by overlooking the records of books written three centuries ago. It was a beautiful day on which I arrived at Oxford, and instead of remaining in my hotel, I sallied forth to take a survey of the beauties of the city. I strolled into Christ Church Meadows, and there spent the evening in viewing the numerous halls of learning which surround that splendid promenade. And fine old buildings they are. Centuries have rolled over many of them, hallowing the old walls and making them gray with age. They have been, for ages, the chosen homes of piety and philosophy. Heroes and scholars have gone forth from their studies here, into the great field of the world, to seek their fortunes and to conquer and be conquered. As I surveyed the exterior of the different colleges, I could here and there see the reflection of the light from the window of some student, who was busy at his studies, or throwing away his time over some trashy novel, too many of which find their way into the trunks or carpet-bags of the young men on setting out for college. As I looked upon the walls of these buildings, I thought as the rough stone is taken from the quarry to the finisher, there to be made into an ornament, so was the young mind brought here to be cultivated and developed. Many a poor, unobtrusive young man with the appearance of little or no ability, is here molded into a hero, a scholar, a tyrant, or a friend of humanity. 
I never look upon these monuments of education without a feeling of regret, that so few of our own race can find a place within their walls. And this being the fact, I see more and more the need of our people being encouraged to turn their attention more seriously to self-education, and thus to take a respectable position before the world, by virtue of their own cultivated minds and moral standing. Education, though obtained by a little at a time, and that, too, over the midnight lamp, will place its owner in a position to be respected by all, even though he be black. I know that the obstacles which the laws of the land and of society place between the colored man and education in the United States are very great, yet if one can break through these barriers, more can, and if our people would only place the right appreciation upon education, they would find these obstacles are easier to overcome than at first sight appears. A young man once asked Carlyle, what was the secret of success? His reply was, Energy. Whatever you undertake, do it with all your might. Had it not been for the possession of energy, I might now have been working as a servant for some brainless fellow who might be able to command my labor with his money, or I might have been yet toiling in chains and slavery. But thanks to energy, not only for my being today in a land of freedom, but also for my dear girls being in one of the best seminaries in France, instead of being in an American school, where the finger of scorn would be pointed at them by those whose superiority rests entirely upon their having a whiter skin. But I am straying too far from the purpose of this letter. Oxford is indeed one of the finest located places in the kingdom, and every inch of ground about it seems hallowed by interesting associations. The university, founded by the good King Alfred, still throws its shadow upon the sidewalk, and the lapse of ten centuries seems to have made but little impression upon it. Other seats of learning may be entitled to our admiration, but Oxford claims our veneration. Although the lateness of the night compelled me, yet I felt an unwillingness to tear myself from the scene of such surpassing interest. Few places in any country as noted as Oxford is, but what has some distinguished person residing within its precincts. And knowing that the city of palaces was not an exception to this rule, I resolved to see some of its lions. Here, of course, is the headquarters of the Bishop of Oxford, a son of the late William Wilberforce, Africa's noble champion. I should have been glad to have seen this distinguished pillar of the church, but I soon learned that the bishop's residence was out of town, and that he seldom visited the city except on business. I then determined to see one who, although a lesser dignitary in the church, is nevertheless scarcely less known than the bishop of Oxford. This was the Reverend Dr. Pusey, a divine whose name is known wherever the religion of Jesus is known and taught, and the acknowledged head of the Puseyites. On the second morning of my visit, I proceeded to Christ Church Chapel, where the reverend gentleman officiates. Fortunately, I had an opportunity of seeing the doctor, and following close in his footsteps to the church. His personal appearance is anything but that of one who is the leader of a growing and powerful party in the church. He is rather under the middle size, 
and is round-shouldered, or rather stoops. His profile is more striking than his front face, the nose being very large and prominent. As a matter of course, I expected to see a large nose, for all great men have them. He has a thoughtful and somewhat sullen brow, a firm and somewhat pensive mouth, a cheek pale, thin, and deeply furrowed. A monk, fresh from the cloisters of Tintern Abbey, in its proudest days, could scarcely have made a more ascetic and solemn appearance than did Dr. Pusey on this occasion. He is not apparently above forty-five or at most fifty years of age, and his whole aspect renders him an admirable study for an artist. Dr. Pusey's style of preaching is cold and tame, and one looking at him would scarcely believe that such an apparently uninteresting man could cause such an eruption in the church as he has. I was glad to find that a colored young man was among the students at Oxford. A few months since, I paid a visit to our countryman Alexander Crummel, who is still pursuing his studies at Cambridge, a place, though much inferior to Oxford as far as appearance is concerned, is yet said to be greatly its superior as a place of learning. In an hour's walk through the Strand, Regent, or Piccadilly streets in London, one may meet half a dozen colored young men, who are inmates of the various colleges in the metropolis. These are all signs of progress in the cause of the sons of Africa. Then let our people take courage, and with that courage let them apply themselves to learning. A determination to excel is the sure road to greatness, and that is as open to the black man as the white. It was that which has accomplished the mightiest and noblest triumphs in the intellectual and physical world. It was that which has made such rapid strides towards civilization, and broken the chains of ignorance and superstition which have so long fettered the human intellect. It was determination which raised so many worthy individuals from the humble walks of society and from poverty and placed them in positions of trust and renown. It is no slight barrier that can effectually oppose the determination of the will. Success must ultimately crown its efforts. The world shall hear of me, was the exclamation of one whose name has become as familiar as household words. A Toussaint once labored in the sugar field with his spelling book in his pocket, amid the combined efforts of a nation to keep him in ignorance. His name is now recorded among the list of statesmen of the past. A soliloquy was once a slave, and knew not how to read. He now sits upon the throne of an empire. In our own country, there are men who once held the plough, and that, too, without any compensation, who are now presiding at the editor's table. It was determination that brought out the genius of a Franklin and a Fulton, and that has distinguished many of the American statesmen who, but for their energy and determination, would never have had a name beyond the precincts of their own homes. It is not always those who have the best advantages or the greatest talents that eventually succeed in their undertakings, but it is those who strive with untiring diligence to remove all obstacles to success, and who, with unconquerable resolution, labor on until the rich reward of perseverance is within their grasp. Then again, 
let me say to our young men, take courage. There is a good time coming. The darkness of the night appears greatest just before the dawn of day. End of letter 19. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.